welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter from Slam Diego. Cardinal fans thought we'd jump in here with a with a spontaneous podcast today because we have a special guest. Cleveland Browns writer from SB Nation, staff writer for Dogs by Nature, and an NFL historian who's a member of the Professional Football Researchers Association. His name is Barry Shuck. He does great work. Welcome, Barry. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Walter. Oh, man, it's timely to have you on here um, with the Deshaun Watson situation, and plus we have trade rumors swirling here about a greedy Williams trade to Arizona, which I want to ask you about later on. But I want to start off with with Deshaun Watson. You're close to the situation. What are your thoughts on the suspension and, and the aftermath of the suspension? Well, it's, it's my determination that the NFL is the uh, Cleveland Browns and 31 other teams. I mean, they just they just dominate the landscape of the NFL. Would you agree? Yes. Although so, so, Kyler so, Murray, Kyler Murray tried to <laughs> steal that show for yeah, about so, three months. But now understand this: that when the the Browns traded for Deshaun, the attorneys that were representing him for all these civil suits. With every team that was interested in trading for him, which was Atlanta, New Orleans, Minnesota, Carolina, Seattle, and Miami last year, they were instructed that, look, this is going to happen and you got to stay out of our way as far as all this legal situation. And that's just the way it is. And if you trade for him, you just got to get out of the way. And so the Browns agreed to that. So what is happening to the Browns? If the Atlanta Falcons had traded for him, all of this circus would have been in Atlanta instead of in Cleveland. Right. So that's the first thing. And then last year, uh, right before the trade deadline, the Miami Dolphins had a trade already worked out for the, with the Houston Texans. But the owner of the Dolphins, Stephen Ross, mandated that Watson get rid of every single civil suit and 20 of the 24 women agreed to a, a set amount and four held out and that makes the deal. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, that was wow. So, <laughs> so now now we are where we are as far as that goes. Um, he's got 11 game suspension, went up from six games. In addition to that, he's been fined $5 million. Then the Browns in the NFL are – are dumping in a million each, and then that money, that $7 million, is going to uh, charity. Um, so that's, a cumulative, that's going to a fund that will support the work of organizations uh, to educate young people on healthy relationships. So there's going to be a $7 million uh, bounty right there. In addition, he's going to be mandated, Watson's going to be mandated to, to go to canceling. Now, what's odd about this to me, Walter, is that in the statement from Deshaun Watson, 
he he talks about being grateful and and he talks about uh, he has he says this I quote I apologize once again for any pain this situation has caused I take accountability for the decisions I made end quote now at no time did he say yes I am guilty I did any or all of this and I am remorseful for that he is just apologizing. Uh, for any pain this situation has caused. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, both he and the Haslam's have been so vague, they don't even mention the victims. It's just people. They don't at all, do they? People who are triggered. People who are triggered by this. Um, <laughs> what a what an interesting word choice for what Sue Robinson described as a nonviolent sexual abuse um, right. to these 26 women who have come forward. Um, all that is very troubling to me. And I, I, I tweeted out yesterday, you know, the, the Haslam's keep saying, well, everybody deserves a second chance. And, you know, he should be able right. to go on with his life. But yeah. aren't second chances sort of, you know, don't you have to kind of do a mea culpa and a little bit of an apology to, des to yeah, deserve, yeah. you're talking about deserving, right. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, well said. Yeah, so, that's the uh, problem, that's, part that, that's the part that bothers me. I also feel like $5 million out of 230 guaranteed million was just a trivial sum a trifling of what, you know, if you're really going to fine him, fine him a year's salary. Um, you know, I thought that was bogus. Also, the, the, uh, him coming back to play the Texans in Houston. I mean, his first game, his first game is just, just a horrible decision in my opinion. And, um, you know, the, the whole synchronicity of that, seems very dubious on the part of the NFL as a kind of like must-see TV, you know, greed, greed play. Um, ah, it's just, there's so many aspects of this that just seem wrong that um, it's, it's, it's hard, hard to uh, accept any of it. Yeah. And of course, uh, initially the Browns knew that he was going to be suspended at some point. And so they structured his contract that this upcoming year, he would make $1.035 million. And in year two, he'll make $46 million. Year yeah. three, he'll make $46 million. And I think that alone just kind of alienated the other owners um, because of all this ongoing civil suits. And then, you know, Roger Goodell came out and said, look, he's a predator. He's a sexual predator. I really, I really was expecting the NFL through this whole process to go for an indefinite suspension so that every year they could uh, deny his application for reinstatement. But I think the reason they wanted 12 games was because that would cover over Houston Texans game, and then he wouldn't be able to play in that one. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I I, I tweeted yesterday when it, it's gotten um, some real interest on on Twitter that 
in my opinion, the suspension should have been a full year. It should have been for one year's pay of $46 million. And he would have to reapply um, with proof of having done the um, counseling, taken um, courses in, um, in sexual abuse and treatment of women. Um, and that, that uh, per uh, his participation and, you know, plus a, a sincere ap apology to the victims themselves, not to people, but to the victims themselves, um, then he could reapply and, you know, he could move forward his, with his career. That would seem just to me, maybe that's draconian to some, and I got some, some fans writing back, he didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't convicted. And then we got into the whole legal dispute, which is, you know, a runaround. Um, so I just quoted back Sue L. Robinson's quote of how uh, the, the NFL proved without, without a doubt that Deshaun Watson is a sexual predator. He used his status to exert um, uh, his, his influence over these masseuses and sexually preyed on them, exposing himself and uh, touching them unwantingly um, on their parts. And vice versa. Yeah, and, and the thing about it is when he announced to these women who he was and what he was and who he played for, that's when the NFL and the Shield was, became effective. He just went in there and said, I'm John Doe. And I'm, I'm just, you know, right. Right. none of this would have, would have happened, but, and another right. thing is a lot of these, a lot of these massage therapists, I don't know, but I'm just speculating is a lot of them probably thought, Oh, great. Here's a, here's a guy with money. I will have him for a, a, a long time down the road and he's got influence and maybe he can introduce me to other players or other people of, of stature and this will definitely help my career and get me further along. I'm sure right. Lydia that thought that way. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a key context here is how he used his status as an NFL's star quarterback to exert his influence. So the way this is gonna the way this story is gonna conclude is he's gonna do his eleven games, he's gonna pay his five million dollar fine. Um, he's going to, you know, forfeit minimal out of his, I think it ends up, uh, most of his, uh, a lot of his contract this year and, uh, he'll never admit guilt. Um, that'll be the end of it until the end of his career. He hasn't been convicted of anything, um, criminally, uh, the, the courts in Texas have already said he's not guilty of any of that. And that'll be the end of the story. And he'll just go ahead and cash his $46 million checks for four years. And uh, so what? Right. Yeah. I don't think the fans are going to let this go. Um, certainly not. You know, maybe champ in Jacksonville, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah so, I don't, so that, that'll be every stadium, every game. Right. That's going to be the thing on the road. And what do you make of the, the, the Browns fans cheering him and saying, we've got your back. 
well, you know, everybody wants to win. And, you know, everybody, homers are, are a different animal. Um, you know, they, they're just tired of losing. They haven't had a, a decent team ever since they came back into the league as an expansion team in 1999. How many quarterbacks have they had? Uh, maybe close to 30. And right. uh, they're, they're just tired of losing. You know, the Browns have won eight league championships, and they were the team of the 1950s, the NFL team of the 1950s. Right. So they've got a history of winning and winning championships. They went to 12 championship games in a, uh, in a row from 1946 to the, in the mid-50s and uh, won seven of them out of those 12. So they were the New England Patriots of their time. Right. But, you know, they ever since they've come back in the league, they've fallen on hard times and just haven't made good decisions. And like right now, they're, they're poised to win right now this year because contracts come due, and who knows, you understand that, who knows who will stay and who will have to be paid and who will, you know, find right. another team to play for, and uh, like Kareem Hunt. And um, so they've got to win this year, but they're not going to win with the back, uh, with the journeyman quarterback. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they do have, their defense is pretty, your defense is very special. Um, a lot of outstanding players on that side of the ball, and you've got components on offense. The running backs are, are special as well. And so, if Jacoby Brissett can kind of hold down the fort, um, and assuming Watson can come back and and play at a high level, maybe you get into the playoffs, which you did two years ago, where I thought Baker Mayfield played really well, and that that win against the Steelers. At Heinz Field, I thought in the playoffs was very special. Um, really thought that uh, Baker Mayfield tried to play through injury last year to his own detriment. I mean, I know the Cardinal game where the Cardinals beat the Browns at, at Cleveland. Um, you know, I mean, J.J. Watt rolled, rolled over Mayfield's left shoulder, which was hanging on a thread. And Mayfield stayed in the game amazingly. And, I mean, he tried, he was such a trooper with injuries. Um, you know, what's your thought on Mayfield and his, you know, his abrupt uh, ending in Cleveland? Well, here's what I, I thought. And I do, I do a column after every game called Brownies and Brownies. And what happens is I take notes and then I, I, I spit out a, an article that, these are the players that played well. These are the players that didn't play well or situations. And then these are the players that had great games, but not great games. And what I include also in that is coaches, but also things like uh, the defense on third downs, failure to you know, stop a team on third down. So I pay attention to the game. When Baker got hurt with his, with his shoulder, Immediately that week, they should have solved that and let him have surgery and been done with it. And, and if he could have come back during the season, great. They had a capable backup in Casey Keenum. Right. He had 64 NFL starts. He was uh, 11 and 5 one year, was the starting quarterback with the Minnesota Vikings. Right. Uh, when coach, uh, Kevin Stefanski was their uh, OC. And they should have just 
taking care of it right then. But when you play hurt, you don't play to your optimum abilities. You you struggle. And because he struggled at the end of the year, despite being hurt, the Browns coaching staff and, and, and GM and upper men and the owners looked at him and said, you know what, this just isn't going to work, so uh, let's look at other options. And other names like Jimmy Garoppolo had, had surfaced, but as soon as Deshaun Watson became available, they just hopped all over that and just opened the first strings. Right. And I think Baker got the shaft on that. I'd love to see Baker start for Carolina. I'd love to see him make the Pro Bowl. I don't think the Carolina Panthers will make the playoffs, but that would be a great thing if they did. And I think most Brown fans feel that way. They, they're not dismissing Baker now that he's gone, but he may or may not. And really, he only had half of a season that he played really well, and that was the playoff year of 2020. Uh, his first, the first part of the year, he played horrible. The second part of the year, he played like a, a, a first overall draft pick. And right. Going else. But right. he definitely got the, the worst end of this stick. Would you, um, do you want the Browns to go after Jimmy G? Um, I think that would be just throwing money into a hole. If the, the, the thing about that is if, Deshaun Watson, he got the full year, sure. And what that right. also does is if he's gotten a full year, there's no guarantee that he'll get a second year. It just means he can reapply. That means that they could uh, let him. So if you get Jimmy G for a full year instead of a journeyman backup like J- Jacoby Brissett, then at the end of that first year, if they denied Watson to be reinstated, then you already got your starting quarterback going into year two. But now that it's 11 games, sure, if they could bring him in, they'd have to pay his $23.5 million contract, which they have over $40 million in cap money. But, you know, you're paying Deshaun, you're paying Jimmy G, you're paying Jacoby Brissett, you're paying part of Baker Mayfield's contract, you've got Josh Rosen, you've got Josh Dobbs. How many quarterbacks do we actually need to pay? Right. Boy, oh boy. I mean, I know our Cardinal fans will be interested in this question, your answer to this question. All right. I mean, as as any quarterback found himself in an NFL crucible the way Josh Rosen has with uh, getting drafted to Arizona in, you know, its worst year in in ages. And then, oh my God, the trade. And, you know, so you know the history. Everybody knows the history. How's he looking for you guys in uh, Cleveland? He's looking actually pretty good. He, he looks like he could actually be the backup. And the thing that I question right now is, you know, we're one injury away from Josh Rosen or Josh Dobbs being the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Right. And that's a scary thought. I, I think Rosen, this is his fifth team. He's right. been on practice squads. Um He's actually looked pretty good, but Josh Dobbs is more of a runner and a scrambler. So right. is Bristol, of course, so is Deshaun, and that's the system that they want to use. Um, he throws uh, – Rosen throws a lot of picks. You know he's going to get twice as many interceptions as he is touchdown passes. You know that. And um, he's not – he doesn't go through his progressions like he should. 
Um, so he gets a little antsy, and then he either wants to ditch it or hold it too long. He gets sacked quite a bit, and um, that's pretty much his story. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him come in if, if uh, Brissett got hurt. And here comes Josh Rosen to continue his story. Sure. Well, we wish Josh well because uh, he's he was dealt a tough hand. <laughs> I'll tell you that. And then heading off to Miami, yeah. that was that was a you know melting pot as well. I mean, a frying pan. Um, so I mean, he's seen him. Wow. And then being with the Bucks a little while, and then Atlanta, and now the Browns. Uh, you know, hopefully, if he gets another chance in in this league to play. He will deliver, and uh, if it's for you guys, it would be great, um, if need be, if he needs to be called on. But I want to ask you about some other quarterbacks. Um, All right. What's your take on uh, Kyler Murray's contract? Well, let's start at the beginning. Ezekiel Elliott was drafted fourth overall in 2016, and he signed a rookie contract with the Cowboys for four years. 24.9 24.9 million. Now, as we all know, all first-round draft picks can be optioned a fifth year. He was a stud as a rookie, all, all rookie, first-team All-Pro, Pro Bowl, NFL rushing leader. Uh, he got a suspension in his second year, and his third year, he was the NFL rushing champion again. Well, at that point, he thought that he needed more money, and he held out. He would have been paid 9.1 million in 2020. And he held out, demanded a contract extension, not a new contract after his old one was up, but an extension. Now, if you'll remember back in the 1990s when Emmitt Smith held out the first two games, the Cowboys went 0-2. The difference was Emmitt played out his entirety of his first contract. Right. And what he was holding out was to get more money for his second contract. Well, Ezekiel did that. So right. what did Jerry Jones do when Ezekiel Elliott held out? He paid Elliott ninety million with over half of that guarantee. The boss caved in, and because he did, that set up every other owner in the NFL. So now Murray here was taken ninth in, in two thousand nineteen, uh, made All Rookie, was Offensive Rookie of the Year, two Pro Bowls, took the team to the playoffs. He did not finish his four-year contract when he wanted an extension for big money. Right. And Jerry Jones set that stage. Instead right. of holding the board, this same situation came up, and it, it is front and center for every team in the NFL. Did Kyler right. get what he wanted? Of course he did. And good right. for him. But my question is, why, oh, why, do these teams even have contracts if nobody is going to abide by them? Right. You know, you know, if I told you I was going to pressure wash your house for $400 and you, you were going to have a big 4th of July party. And then the day that I show up to do it is the day before the party. And now I tell you it's not 400, it's 1200. Well, that puts you <laughs> in. A- right. You've got lots of people and family coming over and your house has black and green stuff all over it. Basically, I'm holding you captive and forcing you to give in. Right. That's a great analogy. And, you know, with any player, 
especially young players, when they get paid, you always worry. I mean, this has backfired on the Cardinals twice when they ripped up or gave tooth players extensions, lucrative extensions at the, you know, top salary of their positions um, after three years. And Tyran Matthew, that ended very poorly with the Cardinals just yep. releasing him. He did not play the same. Of course, he was coming off a second ACL, but it was an act of faith that they, you know, loved him. And, you know, he'd already come back from one ACL really well, but but uh, his next two years getting paid, it just wasn't the same player. And then David Johnson, um, same thing. He held out of mandatory minicamp. Cardinals caved and made him, you know, he only played one game the season before. He broke his wrist in the first yep. game against the Lions. I mean, I, in that situation, he'd only had, he had one great, unbelievable season. But, you know, there were so many, still was early in his career. But the Cardinals caved and made him the highest paid running back in the NFL. Yeah. Again, didn't see the same player. Um, so it makes Cardinal fans nervous. Cardinal fans like me. Some Cardinal fans, actually the vast majority of them that I've talked to and polled, we're just going to go with Kyler no matter what. Give him whatever he wants. He's our franchise quarterback. Just okay. better to get it better to get it done now and save money. Um, and I, the one thing about it that at least is two things that stand out to me that give me a ray of hope. One is it's the first time ever the Cardinals have aligned their GM, head coach, and a first-round draft pick quarterback to be together for five years. Um, they're all all got five-year contract contract extensions. So I mean, the Cardinals have, you know, if you look at the best teams around the NFL, they have that kind of continuity. So I think the Cardinals are being smart to try to create that. Hopefully all of that will work out and um, the Cardinals will find a new level of success. But secondly, yeah. um, what what really sold me afterwards was hearing Cliff Kingsbury say that he doesn't want to coach any other quarterback and that Kyler Murray, when he's at his best, is as good as it gets. So, um, you know, hearing that and Cliff is so good with quarterbacks, that uh, took the sting out a little bit or, you know, a little bit of the paranoia, but man, I have my fingers crossed because it's going to be, you know, I, I wonder what the fallout will be if he struggles this year. And um, I hope not. I hope he comes out blazing. And so far he's been doing all the right things uh, since the contract was signed. So, you know, we're good there, but. Yeah. By the way, Alter, uh, Walter, you never paid me the 1200 bucks to watch your house. You know what? It's still in the mail. It must have gotten off. <laughs> and there are some green slime spots you missed, by the way. <laughs> I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> we'll have to renegotiate. <laughs> but And I have another party coming up, so <laughs> repeat business. Yeah, the next thing is this Tom Brady unprecedented vacation from training camp. Your thoughts? Yeah. Well, starting off, Brady's absence was pre-planned prior to training camp. But last Thursday, Buccaneers head coach Todd Bowles uh, 
the media was around him. He was kind of noncommittal when um, he was inquired about a return date for Brady. Right. Um, which, which he's been gone since August 11th. And for what was described as personal things. Now, Bowles told the media that Brady would be back after the Bucks' second preseason game this Saturday night um, against Tennessee Titans in Nashville. So basically, the earliest that Brady would return would be Monday, um, August 22nd. Now, Bowles did not provide a clear return date, though. Right, right. He said sometime after Tennessee. Well, that's pretty broad and could be yeah. any time with the opening game. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, the way this has come down uh, this offseason with Brady, the 40-day retirement, suddenly, yeah, I'm coming back, but Arians right. is out as head coach, um, yep. you know, pulling the strings on that. Um, and now this um, – you know, unprecedented. I mean, who's ever done this? Now, people would say, yeah, but it's Tom Brady. But I'll tell you this. Here's a thought of mine, and you're you're the um, finest NFL historian I know because of the conversations we have. I, I know you know the, the history um, as well as anyone I know. Would Vince Lombardi still want his name on this trophy? I mean, th- oh. the compromising that's gone on. I mean, would yeah. would Vince Lombardi let a quarterback? I don't care if it was, you know, Bart Starr, or his you know greatest quarterback ever. Would he let a quarterback miss two weeks of you know ten days to two weeks of training camp to go on a family vacation? Absolutely not. Well, Brady did this once with the Patriots, and they ended up going to the Super Bowl and winning that that year. But he took off four days to be with his family. He, he had a family member that was ailing, and I don't remember the story, what happened, the end game on that. But really, this is only the second time in his career that Brady has taken a significant amount of time away from the team during training camp in his 23 years, which is what is odd to me, though, Walter, is that usually Brady is the first one in the building Right. When the other players begin to trickle in, you can find Brady in the film room taking notes. Right now, the Cowboys are the Week One opponent, and Bowles did say that he was confident that Brady would be his starting quarterback. Right. And when he does, he would be the oldest quarterback in NFL history. That kind of reminds all of us of George Blanda. Remember? Yeah, sure do. What a wow, George Blanda. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not yeah. sure what sort of team Brady will be coming back to when he shows up, though. The, re- yeah. the receiver room is in shambles. And plus, the offensive line is, is riddled by injuries. Their right. starting center, Ryan Jensen, had a left knee injury. He suffered right. his practice on July the 28th. He had been on the offensive line for five years, and he's definitely the group's unquestioned leader. Uh, right. Got great toughness. Then four days later, after Jensen went down, it was the next man up for the Buccaneers. And unfortunately, the next man up has also come and gone. Uh, Robert Hainsey was uh, Jensen's replacement, and he had to be carted off the field uh, in a two-minute drill in practice. You know, the line from last year has lost Alex Kappa, who signed with Cincinnati in three-eighths. Allie Margaret retired, and now the 
center position is in a huge flux. Uh, then the most dominant offensive lineman on the team, uh, offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs, right. sustained an injury during the team joint practice with the Tennessee Titans recently. Right, right. Uh, I think I think Wirfs has established himself as one of the premier tackles in all of football. Yes, he's athletic, strong, and uh, defined in his technique. Um, and he's been consistent since entering the league. Yeah, yeah, and that's an interesting development too. Is and then not having your starting quarterback there to, you know, sort through all of that with them makes it all the more bizarre. But you know, um, so we'll see. I mean, this is the these are these are new times in the NFL when a player can, you know. Um, opt out of training camp for that long and a, a prearranged um, deal. Um, you know, so yeah. And then uh, yeah. What's your take on Lamar? Well, as far as Lamar, I, you know, Walter, I just don't get why he is so hell bent on not hiring sports agent. I don't. Right. I own two companies, been through a nasty divorce, was sued once. And the thing I remember most about all of that is that if it wasn't for me hiring an attorney who knows not only the laws, but is familiar with parliamentary procedures and what to file and at what juncture to file it, I'm certain right now I would be living in my truck. Um, I think <laughs> Lamar, he's, he, he's a smart guy, but he's not an attorney. Right. He's not. He has not gone to law school. A contract of this nature right. is not about splitting the furniture and who gets the house while the other one gets to make the property. Right. This is mega, mega money. Right. And why not get everything he's entitled to with clauses, bonuses, and various conditions? Now, the vocabulary alone used when talking about NFL contracts is alien. To most folks, and that leads to misunderstandings when it comes to these contracts. As far as the money aspect, there is the base salary, the guaranteed money, guaranteed for injury money, skill guarantees, cap guarantees, full guarantees. Then right. there's the signing bonus, prorated bonuses, uh, roster bonuses, workout bonuses, option bonuses, and other specific incentives. So there are other basic – these are basic principles in NFL contracts, mainly manifesting in other types of guaranteed money. So knowing all this, raise your hand who would go into any sort of uh, negotiation that would cost you millions by representing yourself. Right. It's mind-boggling, although I guess his mom has a bit of a – a law background, so hopefully she okay. can provide some some guidance there. But um, but there's as we learned with the Kyler Murray contract, you got to read the fine print. <laughs> I mean, right, uh, exactly. things that are in there. I mean, if people take the time to go through them carefully, like Ian Rappaport did to try to find a baseball clause in Murray's contract and come out finding that he has a homework clause. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, so, you know, they're like you said. The, I mean, in these contracts, just to read them, they're pages and pages and pages long. I mean, they're like you yeah. said, the details are enormous and.
Hey everybody, this is Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter. We had some uh, issues with the audio today, so I did want to add this one point before we move on with the Lamar Jackson conversation that Lamar is hiring a lawyer to kind of cross the T's and dot the I's on his eventual contract. What he and uh, his mother, who's representing him as his agent, are doing is negotiating the deal themselves and then just paying standard lawyer fees and that will just be cheaper than paying commission to an agent. Um, Steve Young, I don't know if you heard his comments this week about, he believes that um, Lamar is rightfully holding out because the Ravens are holding him back um, on offense and that, you know, their system of offense, um, you know, that, that Lamar, it's too restrictive for a, for a talent like Lamar, they need to open the thing up. And, um, you know, of course, Steve Young was a mobile quarterback and knows what he was talking about. Exactly. You know, um, that's, know. that's an interesting thing, too, because um, when we trade, the Cardinals traded for Marquise Brown, Brown has been saying that he at times felt like he wasn't needed too much in that offense. Um, so, you know, and they've, they've got the, you know, um, the running game is priority and they throw a lot to the tight ends and all of that. And um, so, but uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that, that the, the Raven system is holding Lamar back and perhaps he's a little disgruntled by that? I don't see the purpose in holding him back. Why would they do that? You can't make a pocket passer out of somebody like RG three or um, Randall Cunningham, you know, these players, Michael Vick, these players get back on a passing play. And if the first receiver is covered, maybe look at the second receiver and the third as they go. And the Browns play Lamar twice a year. Last year, I involved contributing writers and staff writers, and I came up with an idea for a, a, an article called how can the Browns contain Lamar uh, Jackson? Right. And it was amazing all the responses, but the in, at the end of the day, nobody had an answer for it. They said, you need to do this and this would help. Right. This would help. And what I came up with is you, you've got to have a spy on it. You've got to have a guy that's got his speed. He's got 4.4. Right. And you got to have somebody that's a sure tackler. And it's got to be on a string with him. But the problem with that, Walter, is you're basically playing 10 on 11. Right. Because all the spy does is spy doesn't cover the running back or the tight end coming out. He is just there to tackle Lamar when Lamar exits right. the pocket. So I don't know why the Ravens would want to hinder his progress or want to right. timing mean, him. Um, I, I think it's got to be on Lamar's end that he's just not familiar with certain situations. Because, you know, the Ravens, they've got a, not only an attorney, they got a team of attorneys. And they've dealt with contracts before, and most sports agents are on a very cordial basis with all GMs of every team. And they know each other, they know how they interact, and it's not a war situation. The NFL teams are trying to get what's best for them. The player, the agent, is trying to get what's best for his client. And they understand it's give and take, give and take. When they finally come up to a, 
a resolution and here's the here's the finished product. But I, I just don't understand why they would want to stymie him. Uh, right. He is a, a career, he's a generational player. And the thing right. about him when they're playing the Browns is if you've got the defense rushing and he pops out of that pocket, Right. So immediately, he's already passed four players, the defensive line, that right. is somewhere behind him in the pocket. Then right. you've got the linebacker covering the tight end over here on the left flat. You've got the the cornerbacks engaged and the safeties engaged. He's 17 yards downfield before he, anybody even knows he's gone. Yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's got that burst. and uh, I mean, he's going to be difficult for anyone to defend. Uh, I remember... Nick Saban saying after playing Kyler Murray, he said, dang, we put a spy on him, and he went right past our spy every time. <laughs> we put a good player on him. You know, in other words, we'd have to put two spies. Um, and with Lamar, I mean, even putting one guy on him may not work. Uh, you'd have to have a pretty special guy who could, you know, kind of uh, handle Lamar's uh, stutter step moves and, and, you know, Lamar's so angular, too, at times. And with a stiff arm, it's really hard to get him down. Um, he's got yeah, that. Yeah, he's a complete player. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a special player. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, of course, Lamar has now said, I won't negotiate um, after the season starts. So it's got to happen now or, you know, or it's not going to happen yeah. until next year. And, and he's been hurt a little bit, but he hasn't been out of the seat, out of the, the year type of hurt, like RG3 was. Right. Um, you know, RG3 just didn't have meat on his bones. And if you look at a player like Russell Wilson, I, I, Russell, I cover the Senior Bowl every year, and I, I, Russell Wilson was at the Senior Bowl, uh, ended up being a third round pick of the Seahawks, but he was like 5'10, 5'11. And I, we were, I was with a group of media people, and they were asking questions. He kept talking about his size. And I turned to a guy and I said, this guy thinks he's going to play in the NFL. And he said, I guess so. Of course, neither one of us were right. But what <laughs> Russell does, he knows he's he's not a big guy. He knows he's not big. So he, he either hits the ground or he's out of bounds. That's how he conserves his body. RG3 didn't know right. how to do that. But you right. take Lamar. Lamar's got the moves. He's got the speed. He is a very elusive guy. Like Michael Vick, uh, it's it's hard to get an open field tackle on him. Right. So the Ravens knew what they were getting when they drafted him. They knew what he was like in college. Now, do, are they trying to contain him to be a pocket passer? He's not. Young wasn't a pocket passer. I don't. I don't. I don't see that that reasoning at all. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I will never ever forget. I was campaigning big time for the Cardinals to draft Lamar because one of the most impressive oh, yeah. things I've ever seen from a college football player was his bowl game, his last year at Louisville, when all guys, all the top prospects were bugging out of the bowl and wouldn't play. Right, He's right. going to suck it up for the team. They're playing a really good Mississippi state team. And, um, in the early part of the game, he throws two interceptions and he's just not having a great passing day. And he just decides, yeah. heck with it. I'm going to run us to victory. 
the pounding he took in that game for a guy who knows he's going to be a first round draft pick was just, I mean, and the effort that he put forth rushing for over 200 yards in that game, they didn't win at the end, but he got him right back in to be able to win the game. It was just one of the most astounding things. I said, boy, this guy is as tough as nails. And uh, yeah, look at the character. Say. He left, you yeah. know, you talk about leaving it all out on the field. For his last game at Louisville, he left it all out on that field and did everything he humanly could to try to win that game and go out a winner. And uh, yeah. that's when I said, yeah. boy, this kid is a winner. And, and really, he should have won the Heisman two years in a row, in my opinion. Yeah, that was tough. You know, uh, yep, I agree. I, boy, it's hard to argue against his, you know, his play, um, you know, in, at Louisville was just stunning. But all right. So it's just great that we have you with us because Cardinal fans are mulling about a potential trade for cornerback Greedy Williams. Um, is that something, that, you know, now you and I, have a history of trades. We we agreed to trade yeah. for the David Njoku trade <laughs> that never happened. Yeah, yeah, we already had that laid out, didn't we? We had that laid out. So, but yeah. what are your thoughts on Greedy Williams? And is do you think he's available? I know he's in the last year of his deal, and you know they've got some depth there uh, at cornerback. What are your thoughts about it? Well, he's he's been up and down. As far as um, as far as his health goes, uh, he sat out all of his second year uh, with an injury, um, a shoulder injury. Uh, but he came back last year and he really, really improved. Coming out of college, he was not a great tackler. Uh, he wasn't a good tackler at all. And even in his scouting reports, I've gone back and looked at stuff like that, and all of them say. Subpar on tactics. We'll need to right. improve this at the next level. And sure enough, that's exactly what we got. But his coverage skills are excellent. He is a blanket uh, cover guy. But here's the thing with, with the Browns, and it's probably going to be a money issue once his contract comes up for his second contract, is they've got Denzel Ward, who's gone to two Pro Bowls, and right. he's just got an extension over a hundred million on one side. Then they right. drafted Greg Newsome out of Northwestern in right. the first round last year. And he's projected to be the slot guy. And Greedy Williams should be the other cornerback. Then they drafted a guy in the third round this year named Martin Emerson Jr. out of Mississippi State. Right. And he's been over and above what they he looks like a first round pick, if you ask me. He's got long right. arms. He's only 6'2", but he's just he he's uh, got he's very imposing on the field. He has been way more than the Browns anticipated. He he picked off a pass and went seventy four yards for a touchdown in a preseason game. Now understand that was the backup to the backup quarterback throwing the ball. That was the okay. backup receiver, and that was second team playing against second team. I I got that right. So the Browns, you know, there, there's a saying, you can never have too many cornerbacks. The Browns right now have four that can start for any team. 
Right. And I think they're going to have one of the, the biggest uh, defensive backfields and the best defensive backfield. If they're going to trade uh, Greedy Williams, it's because the rookie Martin Emerson is, is stepping in his place. They've also got a guy that was an undrafted free agent named A.J. Green, not the Cincinnati and the, the right. uh, Cardinals A.J. Green. But he has really come along, and they think that that could be their fourth quarterback if they wanted to get rid of Green. Now, what would they they ask for him? I don't know. Maybe a fourth-round pick. Right. Maybe they could get uh, a, a, a third out of it if he plays so many games or has so many interceptions, plays right. so many snaps in a year, can be conditional right. like that. But right. uh, Arizona definitely needs somebody, and, and that would fill their, their role. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so he's one of the players that uh, the Cardinals fans and media have been focusing on and um, for a couple weeks, and I – it's really happy to to hear your thoughts about him and uh, yeah. And, um, now, I will say this. I will say this though, Walter. His last year, other than Denzel Ward, I'd have to say that Greedy Williams was the best cornerback on the Browns uh, roster. He really came along, and he definitely has learned how to tackle. That's good to know. We need that. <laughs> and uh, I too yeah, was aware of his, you know. Um, Poor tackling at LSU, and was I know a lot of fans wanted us to draft him, and I was like, "Oh no, this will is Pat Peterson all over again." Because um, yeah, Peterson, sure. uh, while he was in Arizona, tried to play in a tuxedo, um, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I that was really annoying as years went on, um, and yet it's like playing, you know, with ten defenders anytime the ball is past the line of scrimmage um, when one guy just doesn't want to tackle. But uh, I was surprised when I looked up his PFF grades and saw that his tackling grades with the Browns the first year was pretty good. And then last year was, was not bad. And his cover grade was really good last year. I remember. Yeah. He's definitely good. uh, Good in coverage. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean now, now whether the Browns would want to release him and let him go, um, the fact that they've got, like I said, they've got four corners that I think start for anybody, and then AJ Green fills that fifth role. But here's right. the thing about the Browns, and I don't know if they'd really want to move Greedy Williams. The Browns play a lot of four-two-five, and right. a lot of times that instead of two linebackers, they'll put a safety in. Right, and then a linebacker, but then they'll have five defensive backs, right. and uh, two of those five are safeties. So that means right. you've got three cornerbacks on the field at all times. But right. if you've got four really good corners plus a fifth one that can fill in, all right. it takes is one injury or two, and if you don't have that depth, you're you're in definite definite uh, bad situation. And the AFC North. It's got receivers of the yin yang. They have got Lamar, Jamar Chase of, of Cincinnati, and it's just you've got right. premier cornerbacks. Yeah. So I don't know that they would really be wanting or willing to trade one of their cornerbacks, whether it's greedy or not. If right. they did trade one, it would definitely be greedy Williams out of the five. Right. right. So, last question is. 
is there a neat area on your team that uh, the you know we could look at as you know if they looked at the Cardinals roster? Is there where are you? Where are the Browns a little thin? Well, we just lost our starting center. They played on the second uh, snap. He got he got bull rush. He bent his leg and he popped his knee. Oh yeah. And then four and then four days later, our seventh round pick was a center in, in college, blew out his knee. We had oh, signed a, a guy in free agency that was a former second round pick of the Seahawks. He's now the starting center. The backup to him is an undrafted free agent. Um rookie so center is is definitely the biggest position of need for the browns they they let go jc treader who had played for him for eight years it wasn't because of uh, skills it was because he was going to make 8.2 million the browns are an analytics team and the analytics say pay the quarterback play the pass rusher play cornerback one and wide receiver one and that's it right so if they pay their, their center $2 million instead of $8 million, that's what they're going to do, and that's what they did. So center, yeah. they're definitely going to have to bring somebody in, whether it's somebody that's been cut. After all these cuts, you know, on Tuesday, they're going to cut five more players. They got five players last week, all teams. So right. I think that's what the Browns are looking for is uh, um, definitely a maybe not a starting center, but a backup to the, the starter. And then they'll have the undrafted free agents, the third guy on the list. Yeah. Unfortunately for the Cardinals, that's an area of concern too, because Rodney Hudson was pondering retirement. He's come back, yeah. but ever since he hasn't really been able to practice, um, they're taking it slow with him. And then our backup center, Sean Harlow has moved over from guard and doesn't have a lot of experience, um, game experience although he's, he looked good in the first preseason game. And then we have a rookie in behind him. So I don't see a viable guy there who uh, could fit the bill in a trade. Is there any other area that stands out to you as where you could uh, use well, we, we, Like the Buccaneers, our wide receivers have, have been banged up. And who knows what's going to happen. All of them at one point have had something or another happen to them. Uh, they, they signed David to, to go to, to a, a big extension. So he's in it for four years. The defense looks great. We got a, a, a new kicker that we drafted in fourth round out of LSU. He is phenomenal. Got a new punter that's got a strong leg. Our long snapper has been eight years. Um, they're pretty good on defense and on special teams, but, but center, uh, receiver. Uh, you think Larry uh, Fitzgerald can still play? he come out? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think Larry's happy uh, just helping to run the Phoenix Suns. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, and and retire at Cardinal. But um, we got a guy named Andy Isabella who just led the team in receiving uh, this past week. Uh, four three one speed. Um, just can't seem to crack into the lineup in Arizona just because he's had like future Hall of Famers in front of them, like like right. uh, Hopkins and Fitzgerald. And and then they drafted Rondale Moore. And, of course, Christian Kirk was ahead of him last Which year. Which I love Moore. You know, so, I absolutely love Rondale Moore. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah. 
turn on his freshman yeah, tape at, at uh, Purdue and it's goosebumps. It's unbelievable. So, um, but uh, Isabella probably could be had in a trade. Um, we have some other interesting depth there, but uh, yeah, I think it probably would be a draft pick and I think you nailed it. I think it would be something in the, you know, the Cardinals have a third round compensatory pick. And I think that's probably what they do is give a third round for Greedy Williams and try to see how he does this year and try to sign him long term if he fits in. But yeah, um, if they can that's do it, they have an overload at, at quarterback. So that, yeah. that would be an area to go after. Yep. Yes. Well, um, so thank you so much for joining us. It's a real honor to, to talk with you again. And, um, you know, I wish you the best in, in Cleveland. I want to keep this conversation going as we we've been doing since we met and um, I really appreciate you, Barry. Thanks so much for coming on. All right. Before I go, I want to give you something. I, I have for years and years, probably about 15 to 18 years, I have accumulated football idioms. You know, an idiom is something that is not what it sounds like. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> So, and in football, is football is full of idioms. Uh, right. A sack is to put your groceries in, but it's part of football. Pancake is a breakfast uh, uh, entree, but yet it's part of football. So when I come on, I want to give you a football idiom. And today I'm going to give you the origins of where red zone came from. And the reason I'm using red zone is because the Arizona Cardinals use red zone as part of their uh, fan experience. Well, the red zone, as we know, is the area between the 20 yard line and the goal line of the defense. This was coined by Hall of Fame coach Joe Gibbs in a 1982 Washington Post article when he was the head coach of the Washington Redskins. <laughs> now, how that came about was he was explaining to a reporter after a game about the uh, inability and, uh, from his Redskins team to score from the red zone as, as a key element for his team's success. And the uh, reporter at one point stopped him and said, Coach, Coach, you keep saying red zone. What are you talking about? And Joe Gibbs explained that he calls from the 20 to the goal line on both ends the red zone. And then that was relayed in an article. That's awesome. That is so awesome. Um, and it reminded me of one other question I actually wanted to ask you. Um, is uh, We just learned that from the Cardinal standpoint, I know being a historian that you probably will have something to say about Bill Bidwell, who uh, the owner of the Cardinals, who um, passed away last year. And then the Cardinals in week one at halftime against the Chiefs at home are going to um, induct him into the Cardinals ring of honor. Um, what is your th thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts? What comes to mind when you think of Bill William V. Bidwell? What I think about uh, Bill Bidwell is the fact that uh, his wife, Violet, was the first female NFL owner. Right. With, 
when her husband uh, died, uh, his name was uh, was Wolfner. Um, then she ended up with the team. I think it was 1946, and then the uh, uh, Chicago Cardinals won the NFL in 1947. Right. The next year, but Violet Bidwell was the league's very first NFL owner, female. Now right. there have been others, like right now, the the Saints are owned by a female. Um, right. And then others, usually by death of their husbands, and they end up with the team. But she was very hands on. Uh, she would attend board meetings, and that upset people in the boardroom. They didn't want a woman in 1947 to come in and make decisions and right. make suggestions and want to be on competition committees and and all of these things. And um, if if that answers your question, great. If not, oh man, it answers it beautifully. And um, that is a chapter of Cardinals history that I find so fascinating. And of course, you have to go that far back to find the championship. And uh, God bless her. Um, maybe we ought to <laughs> get another female owner in town. Maybe that's the trick. But uh, Barry, it's such a joy and a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and uh, thank you again for coming and joining us on the Red Rain podcast. And uh, good luck to you and your Browns this year. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need it, especially the first eleven games. I enjoyed my time with you, Walter, and, and thanks for having me on, my friend. Thank you too, Barry. And so um, thank you to Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter who set this whole thing up on via Zoom today. Um, I really appreciate his his uh, expertise in getting us hooked up here. And um, yeah, to Cardinal fans everywhere, I hope, hope that you enjoy this weekend's game. Uh, the unveiling of the new black helmets, um, which by the way, yesterday in the mail, I got my mini replica it's a beauty it cost me forty dollars from just sports but hey uh, you know it's a little more than i usually bargain for but hey it's right by my tv and it's looking shiny and beautiful uh really is a stunning look um so we're gonna see the unveiling of that and playing a ravens team that has like won 21 preseason games in a row or something to that effect that'll be an interesting challenge so i hope you enjoy the game tomorrow night and and in the interim, may the red, red rain of, of confetti shower down on you into a red, red sea. Red rain. <laughs>